and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Is it good to be in church? Hey, for those who don't know, my name is Mark. I'm the campus pastor here. If I have any first-time guests in the building, I want to say welcome. Uh, We love our first-time guests. Come on, can we welcome them? How do we feel about our first-time guests? Like Pastor Duell said, if you want to fill out a welcome card, we would love that. You'll get a call from us sometime this week because we want to touch base with everybody that God's bringing through these doors. Amen. Um, for those who may not know, you know, we're one church, two locations. Obviously, you're in the Marshfield location today. Our lead pastor oversees our Republic campus, Pastor Chad and Tasha. We love them. We're grateful for them. They actually celebrated 15 years as a campus last week. So pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Hey, uh, we find ourselves in week two of a series that we've titled Witnesses. Okay. Short little mini series. Um, and last week we talked about how Jesus comes to earth. He grows, right? Eventually he lives this life. He finishes his ministry. He's crucified. He's killed. He's put in the grave. He resurrects from the grave for 40 days. He wanders around on earth. Um, you know, meeting with his disciples, having conversations, conversing with other people. And we, we get a glimpse into what some of those conversations were. In fact, in the first chapter of Acts, we see the last thing that he said to his disciples before he ascended back to the right hand of the father. And we find that statement in Acts 1.8. This is our key scripture for the series. We took a lot of time breaking the series down last week, but here's what it says. Here's what Jesus said in the final moments before he ascended into glory. He said this to his disciples, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the, the ends of the earth. Now, last week, we, we spent a lot of time on the first part of that verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, and we looked at different scriptures mentioning believers receiving the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes what we see in the book of Acts, as we see this pouring out of God's spirit, I even think of that last song we're singing, right? Uh, We need a fresh wind. Come on, pour out your spirit. What we see is as people receive the Holy Spirit, there's this encounter, there's this evidence that they're being filled in that moment. And sometimes we see that's prophecy. Sometimes we see that tongues coming out of these believers. Sometimes it doesn't tell us that anything happens. It just tells us they were filled. So I have been digging around in the scriptures, trying to grow in my clarity. What is this interaction? What is this encounter with the Holy Spirit? Whatever it is, I want it. Desperate for it. I want more. We even looked at Jesus's earthly life, right? And we observe that the Holy Spirit even comes upon Jesus. And after he's baptized and he comes up out of the water, it says the spirit like a dove, not a dove, the spirit like a dove descends upon Jesus and remains. So not only do we see the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus, but then we see Jesus say in Luke chapter 11, verse 11, um, he basically says, how much more will my father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So that tells me not only do we see the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus, but Jesus implies, suggests that we should be asking for more of the Holy Spirit. So for us, I hope you left here hungry to encounter more of God. Um, yeah, and then and then I'm looking forward to, you know, we'll, we'll dive into some more of that in the fall as we're, we're planning to do a, a series on the Holy Spirit. 
And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. So looking forward to that. But uh, as we continue, uh, we're, we're moving into week two of witnesses. The, the series continues on. Jesus tells them, not only will I, will I give you my Holy Spirit, which will give you power, but I'm doing that on purpose because I want you to be witnesses full of power. So he says, not only will I give you my spirit, but you will be my witnesses. So there's a second part to this verse. And he talks about in Judea, right? He talks about in Jerusalem, in Judea, eventually to the ends of the earth. And I almost feel like Jesus uses those places geographically because they're in Jerusalem when they're having that conversation. So it's, it's almost him suggesting locally, nationally, globally, this message of the gospel of the good news is to be carried everywhere you go. And I'm going to give you power to do so, right? So that's what I want to uh, look at a little bit today, but we see in Matthew 28, Jesus also said in a conversation with his disciples, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. And we love that part. We're familiar with that part. Go and make disciples, baptize them, Go tell people about Jesus. Did you tell anybody about Jesus? We love, we love that part. But I think a lot of times we read Matthew 28, 19, and we forget to read verse 20, which says, and teach these new disciples. Everybody say, teach. Don't just tell, teach them. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the ends of, the age. Come on, let's pray. And then we're going to jump into this thing. Jesus, we love you so much. We are so grateful for the opportunity to gather in your house, to collectively fix our eyes on you, to come together united in thought and purpose, to pursue you, to encounter you, to grow in our knowledge of who you are. Um, Father, I pray as we are in this moment that you would till the soil of our heart, as the seed of your word goes forth, I pray that it would land on these fertile hearts. It take root, it grow to produce fruit in our lives. We don't just want to come in every week and listen to your word. We want to do your word. We don't just want to be hearers. We want to be doers also. So transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus name, amen. So maybe a little over a year ago, I don't know if it was a year or, or a little bit longer than that, but my parents, um, I'm blessed enough to have my parents attend the church that I pastor. And every now and then after Sunday, we'll go get lunch. So when Sheila's restaurant was still on a highway, we decided, hey, let's, let's go get lunch at Sheila's. Anyone ever been to Sheila's? Come on, you talk about Marshfield Gold. There it is, baby. <laughs> you know, when I think of Sheila's, I think of if my grandmother was to put together a buffet, that's what Sheila's would be. Glory. Enough said. Amen. A buffet of grandma's cooking. So anyways, we, we say, yeah, let's go check this place out. It's good. We've heard good things about it. So we, we walk in and we are getting the full Sheila's experience. It's incredible. Enjoying every minute of it. And you know, it's not often that Abigail will go to buffets with me, but she compromised a Sunday and I was grateful for it. Me and Duel have to sneak off to the Chinese buffet just so I can get a little buffet action. Anyways, getting distracted here. Let's stick with the story. So we're in Sheila's conversing with my parents, we're having conversation. And I noticed out of the peripherals, uh, out of my peripheral vision, an elderly man is choking. And so I'm like trying to like listen to the conversation, but no one else can see it. Like just, I can see it. And I'm like kind of glimpsing here and then like glimpsing. And I, eventually I just had to be like, Hey dad, I, I was like, I, I think this elderly guy's choking over here. So he jumps up out of his chair, like Mark Clint, like Clark Kent, sorry. 
e- easy to confuse that. You, you like that? What? Yeah. He gets up and he, and he goes over. Now, if somebody's choking, what, what are we told? What have we been told our whole lives? Grade school, even now, if you see someone choking in a restaurant, what do they need? The Heimlich. Like, you got to do the Heimlich. We got to, there's something caught in his throat. We got to thrust this guy to safety, okay? So, so, so dad gets up, runs over to the guy without even thinking, and he just grabs this elderly man. Now, my dad is, you know, he's a little over 60 here, but the man is strong, and he is just squeezing this elderly man, and he's like, and I'm like, I can't even, I get up and walk over just more for moral support. There's nothing I can do, but I feel like I need to at least show that I'm helping or involved in some ways. Yeah, keep going. You know, I don't know. Like, what do you do? And he's just rushing as he's trying to cheer himself on, encourage him. Come on. Oh, come on. You know, he's so intense. And I'm just watching. I can't believe this is even happening. And um, he, it continues on. And now it's almost getting awkward because it's not working. You know, it's like, I, I think you're doing it wrong. I don't know. And the problem is he's getting exhausted. So he's sweating and he's, he's pulling him and everything he's got. If he hasn't broke one of these dudes ribs already, it's just, he's about to, he actually has the audacity to look at me and he goes, do you want to try? (laughs) And I kid you not. I go, sure. My answer was sure. So we go to exchange this elderly man who is still choking. And uh, thankfully, a man has come up who was like an EMT or something. He knew how to do the Heimlich much more correctly than we did. And he's like, do you guys mind if I try? And we're like, by all means, man, because Lord knows what's going to happen if we continue on. And so he wraps around this elderly man. And with one good impeccable squeeze, this old man regurges everything that I think he's ever eaten in his life. It was like just the, the, the most perfect squeeze. I know that's absolutely disgusting. Like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. But um, yeah, he, uh, he, uh, it, it all comes out of him and, and he, uh, he can breathe. So the ambulance comes and picks him up. He gets in the ambulance I, and I'm, I'm assuming he was okay. My dad ran to the bathroom. I go back to the table, sit down with the girls. I'm like, you know, that was interesting. You just go back to eating, I guess. I don't know. Like, what do we do now? Anyone else need help? Or... <laughs> so he comes back to the table and uh, he is just, just white as a ghost. And he's sweating. And I think like the adrenaline of the moment is either leaving or like something. I thought he was going to pass out at the table. Um, yeah, it was crazy, but I'm glad we, we got the person taken care of. And, and the reason that I even share that story is because I think that that moment with my dad giving the Heimlich is a lot of times what discipleship in the church, this idea of making disciples, I think sometimes that, that's what it looks like. And maybe you're thinking, Pastor Mark, what the heck are you talking about? Well, he was told, we've all been told if someone's choking, do the Heimlich. But when it came time to actually do it, had anyone taught him how to do it properly? Had anyone taught him the commands of how to perform it properly? So when life hit, when it was needed, when when the moment was there, was he prepared and equipped? I think a lot of times, go and make disciples, right? 
But we look at the second phrase in that verse, go baptize them in the name of Jesus, but teach them how to follow Jesus too. Verse 20, right? I wonder if we evaluate our callings, our roles as witnesses, as Jesus followers, we've obviously all been called to go and make disciples. But if I was to ask the question to the room, you know, who are you discipling? Who are you teaching with? Who are you sitting with, walking with, teaching, showing how to follow Jesus? If I asked you that, if I asked the room that, I don't know that a lot of us would have um, great answers. It's being transparent, right? I think sometimes we think this idea of being a witness is us being on our phones and Facebook status pops up. Copy and paste within 30 seconds. If you're unashamed of the gospel and repost it, if you really love Jesus, if you don't, you're going to hell. Or... <laughs> so we put that up and, you know, we think, ah, that was it. I'm... <laughs> Is that our idea of discipleship? Is that our idea of, of being a witness? Or are we sitting with people walking with people, teaching people how to follow his commands. We love to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But many of us, when we, when we reflect on who am I discipling, I've been, I've been commissioned to go and make disciples. When we reflect on who am I discipling, I don't know that we have great answers. And the chaos of life and the busyness of life and the culture that we live in, where our kids have sports and we're committed to eight things and there's after hours business meetings and all there's church events and all of this stuff and the chaos and busyness of life. It's easy to forget that here at Destiny Church, we are on mission always, right? Or maybe some of us think we don't, we don't know that it's our job to make disciples too. And we think it's Pastor Mark's job to make 500 disciples, but we see even Jesus just spent the majority of his time with 12, right? So come on, let's have some realistic expectations here. Amen. (laughs) So I want to talk about this phrase, this word, this idea of discipleship, because it's one thing to say, we got to, we got to have a greater involvement in discipleship, but what is discipleship? Okay. Maybe we hear this word discipleship and all these different things come to mind. Maybe we were if asked to explain discipleship. We don't even really know exactly what that means or we, we, need, we, we have trouble expressing with clarity what is discipleship. And I think to most clearly understand what Jesus was meaning when he said, go and make disciples, we have to take a step back into his historical context, into his Jewish culture and understand within that context, what was a disciple. So we know what he had in mind when he said, go and make disciples. I think we have to revisit that. We have to peer back into Jesus's culture and time growing our understanding of what did, what was a disciple back then? So we can better understand it in our context for today. So in preparation for this message, Um, I I went, looked up this article that was written by a a couple of like, you know, professors, theological professors and the title of this like 18 page detailed article was discipleship in the context of Judaism in Jesus's time. So it was deep. It was rich. You're getting the dumbed down version. Okay. 
and you just got to be okay with it. But I, but I want to simply, you know, kind of help us understand what did it look like back then? How, how does it translate? Because as believe, you know, we're not, we're not just saved to be believers, but also to be disciples, right? It's a part of our calling. And I think God does some of his best work in us and through us. So we need to be available for it. So in ancient Judaism, because remember, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus looked like a Jew, talked like a Jew, lived like a Jew. Jesus's life fell under the customs and tradition of that of a Jewish person. The things they celebrated, he celebrated. You know, the things they honored, he honored. Um, so, so in this culture, you have rabbis and you have disciples. And to, to bring clarity as to what this relationship looks like, a rabbi is like a teacher and a disciple is like a student. So rabbis have this expectation. They grow in their status um, of, of knowing they have this vast uh, knowledge of God's word in the scriptures. And there's an expectation on them that they are to be able to effectively teach, communicate, internalize, even memorize the scriptures. But there wasn't just an expectation on the rabbis to talk about it. There was also an, an equally as weighty expectation um, that a disciple would learn to live the word of God by observing and following and mirroring the life of the rabbi. So not only is the rabbi expected to have knowledge to talk about it, but he's expected to walk it out. So when the disciple interacts, follows around, lives with, spend times with his rabbi, he's not just growing in his knowledge. He's not just developing his knowledge, but he's developing his character as well as, as he follows this rabbi. Y'all still with me? Yeah. Okay. So the disciples hope in this relationship, again, is not only to acquire the knowledge, but to develop in his character to actually become like his rabbi. So once the disciples spent enough time with the rabbi, he, we, we assume that he's maturing through that process. After a certain amount of months, years, he becomes like his rabbi. That rabbi can then ordain that disciple. He goes back into his community as a rabbi for that community and will then disciple someone else in the process continues. Um, so, so the disciple would, or, or I'm sorry. So we, now we know Jesus was right. We know Jesus was Jewish. Okay. He followed Jewish customs. He looked like a Jew, talked like a Jew, lived like a Jew. So, so we know when Jesus is talking about making disciples, he's referring to this process. There were people who even referred to Jesus as rabbi, as teacher. So as we see the gospel continue to spread through these areas, right? We know that Jesus brought the good news to the Jews, but eventually the good news of the gospel makes its way into the Gentile community, basically pagan religions, other cultures that aren't Jewish. So they, they don't know, they don't have these systems in place of what these Jews grew up in. So as the gospel spreads, people who aren't Jewish, who come out of different cultural customs, we've seen Christianity, it becomes far more unorthodox in its tradition and its systems and its order of worship, right? We, we put it like this. It's like the method can change as long as the message is staying the same, right? But I think as we peer back into some of those original Jewish customs, structures, and systems that were first implemented by God himself, I think as we reach back in, peer back into some of those things, we find some gold, especially around this idea of discipleship. 
Now for us, when we consider our context, what should discipleship essentially look like in our lives? Because I've only been in Webster County for about two years now, but I haven't seen a plethora of rabbis ready to take us under their wings and teach us the ways. If you do holler at me might be a good experience. I think it's pretty obvious that today our culture, the way we've been raised, the things we've walked in and through are vastly different than it was back then, right? So again, considering that original idea of discipleship, what can we glean? What does that tell us that uh, about our discipleship today? What are some principles that we can take out of that to make sure effective discipleship is happening in, in us, for us, through us as individuals, but in the church? I have a couple things that I've listed. I think number one is this. We need to view Jesus as our rabbi. Jesus is our great teacher. So we need to follow Jesus. We need to interact with Jesus and we need to encounter Jesus. And one of the best ways that we can talk, encounter, um, have interactions with him, we know that God's word is alive and active right? We know that the word of God is God breathed. It's alive, active, sharper than any double-edged sword. If you want to guarantee to have interactions with Jesus every single day, get in your word. That's how you can be a disciple and a follower of Jesus and interact with him. So number one, follow Jesus, interact with Jesus. Number two, we need to be intentional to surround ourselves with someone who is more spiritually mature than we are and glean all we can from them. This is discipleship. If I'm going to grow spiritually, right? We, we, someone needs to be discipling me because that believer still has the call to make disciples. Amen. So we need to submit ourselves under someone who is wiser than us, who can pour into us, who can develop us, much, you know, our, the, our spiritual maturity. And then third, as we mature, it's important that we prioritize making disciples pouring into others who aren't as spiritually mature or developed as we are. And that's where I ask you, who are you discipling? Who are you sitting with, walking with, teaching? Right? Because Jesus didn't just save us to be believers, but also to be disciples. So um, before I moved on to talking about, you know, the gospel message and being witnesses to the ends of the earth and in our global reach, I think it's important that we grab hold of the fact that there's missions work for us to do right here in Marshall, Missouri, that is not getting done right now. Amen. Um, yet the call does remain. We need to bring this good news to the ends of the earth. And I think as a church, we need to one seek opportunity to advance the gospel deeper nationally and globally. But two, as a church, we need to provide opportunity to advance the gospel deeper nationally and globally. I do think we need to, uh, before we get into this missions work, though, I think it might be fruitful to talk about the difference between charity and missions work because the two are not the same. And I think it's important that we don't have confusion there because not all giving is missions giving. There was a book written by a guy named um, Robert Lupton. He wrote an excellent book called Toxic Charity. And he addressed kind of this blurring of the lines between charity and missions work and the difference between those two things. So I want to take a direct quote from that book. It says this. Now, everyone is getting in on the charity train from rock groups to youth groups, from TV celebrities to elementary school children, from Fortune 500 corporations to campus fraternities. 
when you go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, along with greeting your, along with getting your Big Mac, large fries, and large Diet Coke, you're invited to donate to the Ronald McDonald House. A great cause, but that's charitable work, not missions work. When you go to Rainforest Cafe, uh, they invite you to donate a portion of your bill to help save the rainforest. Again, a good cause, but it's charitable work, not missions work. It's not God's cause. Reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ is God's cause, right? He continues to write nearly every church, business, and organization gets involved in some sort of service project. College spring break service projects and church mission trips have become the norm. Corporations realize they can enhance their images through cause-related marketing while also building up employee loyalty and pride in the company. The compassion industry is almost universally accepted as a virtuous and constructive enterprise. Businesses, corporations, and all kinds of organizations have learned they can sell more products and more merchandise when they move their customers by adding the charitable angle to whatever they are selling. And the sad side effect is some Christian people mistakenly believe they're contributing genuine mission work or to genuine mission work when they buy a meal or purchase some merchandise, et cetera. But because of the cause of the business or the, because of the cause, I'm sorry, because of the cause, the business or organization claims to support. But let's be clear. While missions work, is charitable work. Not all charitable work is missions work. We need to get out the gospel message. Last week, we, we talked about this maturing that's happening in us as we move forward, as we continue to be faithful, as we continue to take steps as a community. And I believe part of that maturing process is us seeking and pursuing ways to integrate the gospel into everything that we, that we do right? To have a greater involvement with missions, this carrying of the gospel to different places that we go. And I, and I think as a church right now, we've done a pretty decent job being involved with our community. I, I think we, we do that, but I think we could even grow in, in our intentionality to weave in the gospel into everything that we do, right? Um, so, so I think we do pretty well locally here with, with room to grow, obviously, but on this global scale, I wanted to bring you guys in. Cause I don't even know that we're totally aware as a church, as some of the things that we do globally in, in our global reach. So I have a couple of pictures here that I wanted to bring up and pull up. And then I'll tell you a little bit more about our involvement in Africa. There's a very small group of us going to Africa this summer, but let's go ahead and bring up some of these pictures here. This is uh, Halmime in Zimbabwe. So if we can go to the next one here, this is from some of our previous mission trips where we were heavily involved. I can't remember exactly what year this was, but this is the village in Halmine. If you can keep going stuff, there should be a picture of a building. So we've partnered with Celebration Church in Florida. We're also partnered with the Awakening Alliance where I just went to Florida for like three days and I was meeting with, I was at a conference for Awakening Alliance talking through all this stuff. But if you saw that church building, which is right here in the village, uh, Celebration Church and Destiny Church has come together to build this church and, and put it there. So something they're currently wanting to do because all the people who are coming and taking part in their services, they don't have any room for their kids ministry. So they want to build a kid's wing so the kids can have church and be taken care of in that way. But it takes $25,000 to build that. I know 18 
thousand dollars of that 25 has already been raised through three private donors so we're looking to raise seven grand more to be able to finish building that um steph there's a picture of people meeting under a tree perfect so out of that church in africa they've launched another campus but they didn't have a building for the another other campus they just had the leader for it so they say hey let's meet at the tree and, and they meet at this tree weekly and have church. And this summer, we'll get to go interact and, and be in these places. But in this village, Doyana, they don't have access to clean water. Um, so what we want to do is put in a well in Doyana. And uh, that well is going to cost $10,000 to put in. So what we're essentially looking to do as a church between both campuses is raise $17,000. Okay, I'll give you guys the opportunity to give towards that today on our push pay, our online giving. There's a drop down that says missions and outreach to Marshfield. So if that is something you want to give to, you can give on there. But yeah, and then you'll see there's some kids. Um, holding some food and we contribute to getting kids these food. But just to bring some clarity to all of this in 2011, Pastor Chad and Pastor Jason went out, they scoped out the area. Chad knew in his heart right away, man, we're supposed to have involvement here. We're supposed to contribute to this. So since that time in 2011, not only through One Child have we sponsored over 400 of these kids in Zimbabwe between both campuses, which is incredible. Amen. Sponsoring 400 kids, giving them clothes, food. Destiny Church has built a house for a pastor on the ground there who they call Pastor Willie. Okay. So not only have we given Pastor Willie a house, but we've also, we um, pay every month so Pastor Willie can have a salary. And our money is so much more valuable than, than their money there or the cost difference. So even us just giving a little bit is incredibly helpful and allows him to have everything that he needs and bless others. And so Pastor uh, Willie and his wife, Thede, are there. They're leading them. We help them out. We've continued not only through one child, continue to feed kids, but we also give towards their feeding monthly. We've partnered with Celebration Church and built a church in Halmine. And then just in the past two years, like I told you, they've started another campus. It's just the people, but come on, we know the church ain't the building. It's the people, amen. So so they're meeting at that tree. Doyana is, and, and the gospel is spreading there. So we, we, wanna, we wanna help in, in all those, ways and continue to reach globally. And we feel specifically convicted that we're supposed to reach um, Africa in that way. So that's what we're doing. Bottom line is we're reaching people with the gospel, but we need to continue to reach people with the gospel. Amen. Remember what Acts 1.8 said. It said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? Uh, something worship team, you guys can come. I'm kind of bringing this thing to a close here, but if nothing else, we we've been called to carry this gospel message everywhere that we go. Some people may be called to go to London, to go to Africa, uh, to go to Central America. I don't know. Some people, the Lord has placed you here and put you here. If nothing else from this series, what I want you to understand is we've been called to be witnesses but he's put his spirit within us and empowered us to do so. Right? So what I want us to walk away with is this thought that we are carriers of his presence, right? 
that the word tells us we are temples of the Holy Spirit. There's this story in the Old Testament where uh, David and his men, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And this was something that they built. It represented the presence of God. So, so they're, they're carrying this one guy ends up tripping and touching it. And, and it actually kills him. Just, just the power of God and, and the humanity state, that collision there. So, so they're like, man, we need to take a break from carrying this thing. And they, and they store it in the house of Obed-Edom. Are y'all familiar with this story? So, so when they put the Ark of the Covenant in here, which represents the presence of God, it, they put it in this house for three months. And over those three months, it says that it blesses everybody in the house. The, and, and I see this picture. There's this, you know, it, it's this small picture of what's happening with us. We are carriers of the presence of God. And not only is he blessing us, but, it, but his presence within us, everyone we interact with, it causes us to bless others, to carry this message, the good news, the gospel everywhere we go. Amen. So here we go. We got to, we got to raise some money. We, we have tabs on there. If you feel led to give, you know, above your tithes and offering, if you want to give to this cause, you have ways to do that. You can write it on your check and, and, and drop it off in the back, but we're going to continue to help people. We're going to continue to take the, the gospel anywhere we can. So, um, I'm asking y'all to partner with us in that. Okay. Would you stand with me? I want to pray. Jesus, we love you. Father, I pray that you would uh, continue to empower us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be who you've called us to be. Help us to do what you've called us to do. I know you're going to give us strength. We ask it in Jesus' name, we all said. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends.